Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, thanks for joining us for CLC, and, and I'm excited to be able to share with you again from God's Word. And uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged and challenged in your own faith and in your own walk with God. And if you're in a place in life where you're maybe you're not uh, decided yet about following Christ or being a follower of Christ, I'm hoping that these series, these open, honest talks that we're talking about will help you as you make your own decision. This, this past week, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't do a lot of TV watching, but I do spend probably more time on YouTube than I should. And, um, and so this last week, I watched this guy uh, totally lose it at Walmart. I mean, he went ballistic. Uh, I think they probably asked him to put on a mask and he did not want to put on a mask and he was angry. I don't know what else was going on in this poor man's life, but boy, was he mad. And it, it reminded me, I, I thought of it, I thought, well, isn't this interesting? Now adults are throwing tantrums in stores. It used to be the domain, the sole domain of little children. You know, when you're walking with your, your, your child down the grocery store aisle, I think, the, I think the cereal aisle is the worst one. You know, when you walk, I love Captain Crunch. When you're walking down the aisle and you go past Captain Crunch or Fruit Loops, that's the other favorite I have, um, you know, health food. And, and, and little Johnny says, I want some of that. And, and, and his mom says, no, you can't have it. I want some. And next, next thing you know, you got a scene going on. And here's little Johnny on the floor, kicking and screaming and frothing at the mouth, throwing a tantrum. Well, why, why, is a, why does a kid do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they didn't get their way. Because there was something that they felt they deserved or were entitled to that they were going to demand and they should get it. And boy, if I don't get what I want, I am, I'm gonna let you know. That's what little kids do. They don't have the self-control and the self-discipline. But you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is a whole lot of us today are not getting what we want. Um, you know, we're, we're facing issues today that, that six months ago, man, we never even dreamed of. You know, uh, stay in, you know, go out, stay apart from people, put on a mask, uh, call in, get tested, you know, all of these different things that, that we're all dealing with. And I think one of the, the challenges for, for us is, is that we, we kind of feel like we've lost some of our personal independence and autonomy. And because there's all these demands being put on us. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I was thinking about Jesus 
and we're doing this series called Jesus Is. And, um, you know, stay with me, stay with me, but I've entitled today's talk, Jesus Is Demanding. And and you might be thinking, oh man, more demands, more expectations. I'm just going to tune out and and watch a, a cat video right now. Just just stay with me and listen, okay? Jesus is demanding. There's actually going to be some really good news that comes at the end of this. So uh, hang with me as we talk about the demands of Jesus. There is a passage of scripture, and and I've got really I got to be honest with you here. This passage of scripture has really bugged me uh, for many years. I, I kind of wish it wasn't in the Bible, but it's there. And that's the one thing about the Bible is, is it doesn't take out the bad parts. It leaves them in. And, and it gives us, by, by leaving the bad parts in, it gives us a glimpse of humanity and human nature and our own faults and failings. And, and you do a read of the Bible you discover really quickly that the characters in Scripture are far from perfect. I mean, some of them did some terrible things and, and, and good people. I mean, all kinds of really great, famous people. They actually did some really bad stuff. And so this passage of Scripture that has bothered me is from John chapter 6, verse 66. And it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So this is Jesus. There, from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And, and you know when they turned back? It was after a sermon that he preached. Now, I preached a few sermons, I think, where people weren't too happy with me, and I would probably be right to say that most pastors have preached sermons that have caused people to leave their churches. It happens. And boy, do we hate it when it happens. It's just a terrible thing to go through. And I was thinking about about this thing. You know, we talked about the other day the, the humanity of Jesus, how Jesus spoke of being the Son of Man and, and the humanness of Jesus, that he was God in the flesh. And he had to have felt bad when this happened. He had to have felt rejection. He had to have felt hurt and sorrow and and this like, oh, come back. But you know what's interesting is he didn't chase after them and he didn't say, well, hey, listen, I'll I'll change my message. I'll I'll adapt a little bit and soften this so that you guys can can live with it. He didn't do any of that. Um, And he didn't assume that the people closest to him were going to hang with him either. In the next verse, in verse 67, he looks at his 12 disciples, you know, his inner circle, and he says, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? Now, that's a Jim Poirier paraphrase, but that's in essence what he said. Are you going to? And they looked down like, no, no, we're we're sticking it out. I mean, where are we going to go? So anyway, let's talk quickly about the demands of Jesus, okay? Um, the first one is that he demands that we come to God through him. Now, last week, if you tune into last week's message, I go into this a lot more deeply. But um, the thing that, that caused people to walk away was this sermon that he preached or this message that he gave in chapter 6, verse 25 on. And 
and it's quite it's quite interesting when you read it. You should take some time to read it. But but Jesus um, it goes through this 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 talk, and he's talking about when the children of Israel were in the desert, and you know they wandered around for forty years, and they needed food, and so God provided by sending manna from heaven. And every day this manna from heaven, this bread from heaven would, would shower down on them and they would eat it and they would live. And then they got sick of the bread. Um, so God added quail to the menu and so quail would come fall to the ground and, and they would eat that. And so Jesus said, said this, he said, I am the, the bread of life that came down from heaven. He is, he is saying, I'm your manna. He says, if you eat the, the earthly manna or the earthly bread, he says, you're going to get hungry again. But if you feed on me, he says, you'll never hunger again. I am your life. I am the bread of your life. And then he gets into some really uh, interesting teaching. He says, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and, and really what he's saying, he's not promoting cannibalism here. But what he's saying is, is you need to just take me in, like consume me, accept me, receive me. I'm your bread. What do we do with bread? We eat bread. And, and what he's saying is partake of me, accept me, come to me, and, um, and you're going to have eternal life. And, and so that was, that was what Jesus was saying. And, and that was a message that emptied a church. That was the message that made the people, the disciples of Jesus, get up and, and leave. And you know what's interesting? When I look at verse 66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back. A disciple, I mean, these are people that, that's, that, that hung out with Jesus. They, they listened to his teaching. They, they would have seen miracles that he performed. And, they, and if, if they were disciples and known as disciples, at, at some point they were identifying with Jesus and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. But when Jesus preached this message, they were out of there. And they're like, I'm not going to be a disciple of this guy. I, I don't agree with that. But Jesus demands that we come to God through him. And he demands that, that he be the bread of our life. And, and accept the fact that it's through him that we have life, eternal life. The second thing I want to talk about, and it follows closely to this, is, is Jesus demands our devotion. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 26, you can read that on your own, maybe just take notes of that. But it's a story of this guy, they call him the rich young ruler in the Bible. And, and he, he comes to Jesus and, and it's like, hey, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, keep the commands. And he says, well, well, I've done that, you know. And, and what were the commands? Uh, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery uh, with, with your neighbor's wife, love your neighbor, and honor your parents. And this rich young ruler says, they checked off on all of them. I do all of that stuff, or I don't do all of that stuff. Well, I do the stuff I'm supposed to do, and I don't do the stuff I'm not supposed to do that, okay? So he's not murdering, he's not committing adultery, he's honoring his parents, and he's loving his neighbor. So he's a good guy. 
and he's got money and he's wealthy. He's a rich young ruler. He's, he's not just got money, but he's got some kind of position. And uh, hey, I, I'd love to add a few of those guys to, to our church. Um, only good can come of it, right? Well, he had it all and he wanted more. He had it all, and he also wanted to make sure that, that his eternal life was looked after as well. And so Jesus says to him, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And it says, and the rich young ruler walked away. He, he went away. He was sad. He was disappointed. He walked away. And I think that the bottom line here is the, the lesson in this is not that Jesus wants, wants all the rich to sell everything and give it to the poor. I don't think that's the message. I think the message here is that for this particular young man, Jesus wanted to have his wholehearted love and devotion. And he wants that from us too. And for this particular young man, all of his possessions and his wealth were standing in the way of having a full-hearted devotion and love for Jesus Christ. See, Jesus wasn't interested in just being um, another trophy on his mantle. He, he didn't want to just be another reward for, for achievement. He didn't want to just be um, another possession. But Jesus wanted to be his savior and he wanted this young man's and our full heart, his full devotion, his full commitment. And, and if it meant that he had to sell his possessions, then, then sell them. If, if, if Jesus is most important, then we hold nothing back from him. And Jesus was saying, let this go and you can follow me because this young man needed to. That was, that was a situation in his life. And when you look back at the book of Job, um, there's this, this story at the beginning of the book of Job where, where Satan appears before God. And he says, hey, have you considered your servant Job? He said he's got wealth, he's got success. I'm paraphrasing. You know, he's got a nice family. He's got it all. And I think that if you take that stuff away, he'll curse you, God. He'll curse you. And God says, no, he won't. He says, yeah, yeah, he'll curse you if you take this stuff away. And God says, okay, then take it. And so then Job is, is stricken with, oh, man, his kids get killed. Uh, his flocks and herds disappear. So his income, you know, disappears. One of his houses, I think, collapsed, collapsed on his kids. And then his health got taken. And, and there's this one point in the book of Job where he is like on the ground, sitting in the dirt, you know, with a broken piece of pottery scraping, you know, the sores from his body. Ugh. So that's where Job goes. And he held on to his integrity and he did not curse God. He would not curse God, even though he lost everything. Well, God blessed him and restored everything to him. What if the conversation was different? 
What if, if Satan had a conversation with God about you or me? And he said, okay, you know, let's see. It, it didn't work with taking everything away from Job. So why don't we give these people everything and see if they hang on to God? Like the rich young ruler. Why don't we give them everything? So good, good income and homes and cars and boats and vacations and shopping trips and and the latest gadgets. Let's give them everything. Let's just give them everything and see if you'll still be devoted to God. That's a, a completely different approach. A completely different approach. It's interesting. David Wilkerson actually talked about that in 1973 in his book called The Vision. And he talked about the prosperity of, of the church in the last days and how the love of many people would grow cold because it would be crowded out by all the success and the wealth and the possessions that we have. And, and it's pretty sobering to read that, especially when you know he wrote it like 47 years ago. And we see a lot of, a lot of success in, in many of our lives today. So here's, I guess here's where I'm going with this. What if today we're not overtly walking away from Jesus? But what if in our hearts on a daily basis we're saying no? And that kind of bothers me a lot. It scares me to think that, that I might be in that position where, where Jesus is demanding a, a full heart and, and my full devotion. But I'm just able to say, no, no it's okay. It's okay. I don't need to go that far, Jesus. Maybe, maybe um, we're not physically just walking away. But I hope that, I, at least in my own life, I hope I'm always saying yes to Jesus. And I hope that you're always saying yes to Jesus. And that we don't appear to be all in when we're really not all in. But that we really are all in with Jesus. And... Jesus goes on to say it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that the, the crux of what he's trying to say here is that um, we can really get distracted. And, and we can get wrong priorities and we can put everything else in front of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he wants to be Lord. He wants to be Savior. He wants to be the king of our hearts. He wants to be number one in our lives. And so Jesus demands our devotion. And he let the rich young man walk away because he knew he wasn't fully devoted. Jesus demands our integrity. Jesus made some really lofty claims. Uh, things like, I am the bread of life. I am the way to come to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what if Jesus was morally and ethically bankrupt? Would you follow him? I know I wouldn't. And I've never personally found anything in Scripture that would cause me to question Jesus' character or his morality or his ethics. I see a man who was sinless, the son of he was the Son of God. He was perfectly sinless. And yet we we look at at the church world today. And I would be pretty honest and, and open in saying I'm far from perfect. And 
man, I've made some bad mistakes in life for sure. And, um, you know, nothing that would, you know, knock me out of ministry, but, but there have been leaders who have, you know, fallen, who have fallen morally, who have fallen ethically. And, and it's brought a lot of pain to the church and a lot of embarrassment to the church and a lot of joy to people who hate the church. Um, and, and one of the results that happens when a, a leader falls morally or ethically is people stop following them. And so I really think that Jesus would not be, we, wouldn't, we couldn't follow Jesus if, if, if he was morally and ethically bankrupt. And, and, and they tested him on this. They tested him on this. In fact, when you look at, at Matthew chapter 22, um, the religious elite, you know, again, the Pharisees are trying to trick him up, trip him up. And, and so they asked the question, I mean, they hated the Romans and they asked the question, is it, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And so if he, if he was to say, yeah, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then they could have accused him and said, oh yeah, you know, look, he's just in with the government. He's siding with the government. And, and, uh, and if he said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then they would be saying, well, oh, he's in rebellion to the government. Let's report him to Pilate and he's gonna get charged and convicted and, and, um, and we'll take care of him that way. And, and so Jesus says, bring me a coin. And, and, and he says, whose inscription is on it? And they said, well, Caesar. And so Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. They didn't know what to say. He had them. And I think the lesson in all of this is Jesus is, is giving us a lesson in integrity. Jesus is giving us a lesson in honor, in respect, in getting along with authorities and doing the right thing. It's just one of the many lessons that Jesus taught on um, on demanding our integrity, but but he raised the bar and he said, live up to the bar, be people of integrity, do the right thing. And then the other thing is Jesus demands our morality. Now we know that, that culture is shifting very quickly. Um, the rules are changing very quickly. And um, I just wanna quickly recap a story in John chapter eight, where this woman is caught in adultery and caught in adultery and then dragged out into the street by the Pharisees or into the, the courtyard or whatever, but, but dragged out by the Pharisees and kind of thrown at the feet of Jesus. And they're like, okay, you know, what, what's supposed to happen with this woman? Uh, the law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? And, and they did actually have the right to stone her to death, like throwing rocks at her and stoning her. And I can't imagine what this poor girl's going through. I mean, she's probably, you know, dressed in a sheet and um, tears coming down her, her face and, and then they'd be kicking up dust at her. And so there'd be actually probably mud on her face. And she must have been terrified because she'd know what was coming and what was going to happen to her. 
And so Jesus is being tested. If he said, don't stone her, then he's siding with adultery and saying, well, that's okay. And, and if he says, do stone her, then that kind of wipes out his whole claims of mercy and forgiveness. And he's the way of salvation. And, and it really reinforces that the right thing to do is just to keep all the laws of Moses and forget anything Jesus is teaching. So what's Jesus to do? So he, he bends over and he starts writing in the dirt. And I'm not sure what he's doing. One, one, one person said he was writing these guys' girlfriend's name in the sand. I don't know if he was doing that or not. Kind of funny if he was. Um, but anyway, he's, he's writing in the, in the dirt. And, and he, he looks up at them and he says, Okay, uh, whoever has no sin... Whoever's without sin casts the first stone. So there's got to be somebody out here in the crowd that, that's never sinned. Who is that? You know, let, let's see you throw the first stone. Let's, let's organize ourselves. Let's figure out how we're going to stone her. Let's, let's get the guy who hasn't thrown, or hasn't blown, or who hasn't sinned. Let him, let him throw the first stone. And it says, and then slowly, gradually, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. Because the old guys are sitting there like, man, I've been sinning my whole life. I've done all kinds of bad stuff. I can't throw the first stone. I can't meet this challenge. And so the old the old guys leave first and then gradually everybody's gone. And it's just Jesus and this woman. And he says, where are those that condemn you? And she says, I don't know. And he says this, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Man, this is a picture of Jesus's grace and his mercy and forgiveness. And, and it's also a picture of, of what Jesus holds us up to. And he, he didn't just say go. He said, go and sin no more. Aim higher. Do better. And um, he had this other teaching in, in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And, you know, as the crowd is going one way, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to go the other way. You're not going to go down the broad road that everybody's, you know, doing the popular thing. You're going to be making unpopular choices and and doing the hard stuff. And I think that Jesus demands our morality. And I think that Jesus would look at us today and say, hey, you know, don't let other people be condemning you, but go and sin no more. Reach higher. Um, number five, he demands our faith. And there are times when all we can do is trust him and have faith. Faith is, is to be totally dependent. Faith is to totally trust. Faith is when you say, I can't do this. I need God to undertake for me. Um, I depend on him. And I think that Jesus wants us to be in that place where we totally depend on him, where we totally trust him, when we can totally throw ourselves on him and say, Jesus, I need you in my situation and in my circumstances. He wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He wants to do for us the impossible. And he loves us and he cares about you and he cares about your situation. He cares about you today and what you're going through today.
He cares about what you're under pressure about. He cares about you. And he delights it in it and he loves it when we have faith in him and depend on him. I want to read you a few scripture verses just before I shut her down today. What, is, what does the Bible say about faith? In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. One of my feet. Favorite verses is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Think about it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in him. Um... Years ago, uh, I came to this church and sat right here, actually right here. And there used to be a bulletin board on this wall that I'm looking at. And we were replanting this church. Uh, we were starting from the ground up. It had gone through a tough time and, and I came to replant this church back nearly 20 years ago. And I remember how much that verse meant to me in that in those days i remember writing it on a little recipe card and i actually put it up on the bulletin board here and i'd look at that verse all the time and i'd quote it because i knew that if god didn't come through uh, this was going to fail i knew that if god didn't come through there was no way we were going to make it as a church and so I had to learn how to trust the Lord with all my heart and, and lean not on my understanding and my own strength and my own power. But if this church was going to survive, it was going to be because God made it survive. And he came through. Boy, did he ever come through. And he blessed us in so many ways. Here's another one. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. This is the promise. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So living by faith and exercising faith and asking and believing and trusting Jesus demands it of us. What? He, he demands that we trust him? Yeah, he does. He does. He demands it. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to believe. He wants you to count on him. And imagine someone who you, you truly actually can really count on saying to me, saying to you, ask me, trust me, call on me, lean on me. Lean not in your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So I want to close with this. These are just some of the demands of Jesus. I, yeah, I could go on for probably days talking about the demands of Jesus and and how he can change our lives and, and all of that. But I know this, um, we can't do it alone. We need Jesus. We need Jesus' help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we need that change of heart that gives us the desire to, to meet these demands, to actually want to be like Jesus and follow Jesus. And, uh, and we need to look to him and put our faith in him. And trust him completely. 
He empowers and he enables. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage you to look to Jesus, ask him into your heart, receive him by faith and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I, I, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sins. And I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to put you first. <laughs>